This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of Ardman Animation for Saturday, April 15th, 2023. And there he is across the table from me. Wearing the wrong pair of trousers. It's Adam oh. Hall. <laughs> I'm, I'm not wearing any trousers, as a matter That's of fact. That's right. Zero trousers. Visible trousers. <laughs> Ooh, did you did you go down the Wallace and Gromit rabbit hole? I might have. Ooh, I, I love I it. I might have gone down the, the wear rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Might've. That's pretty good. Thanks. I was hoping you would, because it is part of the greater conversation. Obviously, it is. Mm. Very important movies. That one you just mentioned, maybe the most important. Yeah. Uh, what a movie. What a movie. What a fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing the good old Armin animation before Pixar. This is one that's near and dear to me that I, I wanted to do for a, quite a long time. So Yeah, a mostly claymation house mm-hmm. that had been around since the 70s. They started with the Morph yeah. cartoons on British television. Yeah, it started with not Morph's television show, though, specifically. It started with this guy, um, Tony Hart. Mm. Uh, on his, He was like kind of a British artist. My understanding, kind of like a Bob Ross type and kind of did programs for kids and Peter Lord says like, yeah, like the show Take Heart was, you know, great and everything, but it wasn't very funny. Mm. So we had to create a little funny character with his sidekick. And turns out that's what people ended up watching the show for. Yeah, it was kind of like the British version of The Simpsons on the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, that's kind of what Ardman did is they did these little interstitials and animations Mm -hmm. in other sort of variety shows and sketch shows in Britain. That's right. And that ends up becoming the Wallace and Gromit shorts. It ends up becoming Shaun the Sheep and these things develop into franchises and also like feature length movies. I didn't realize that they had been around long before their first animated feature, their first actual, you know, feature length film. Yeah. Chicken Run was the first one in 2000. First full length feature. Yes. But funny enough, they'd already won a couple Oscars prior. Yes. Well known. And I've seen all of them. Oh, really? (laughs) I've seen ever. I've seen it. The only thing I haven't seen by Armin is uh, the entirety of their television shows. Uh-huh. I have seen almost all of the Creature Comforts yeah. sh- uh, show, seen the original Oscar-winning show. Which I heard is great. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. You should watch. It's like five minutes long. You should watch it. It's incredible. I'd like to figure out a way to do an animated shorts podcast. And I don't know exactly the right way to do it because there are so many of them. You could do one just for Pixar. Right. Yeah. I wonder... Could you do a bracket? Could you do like a top 20 list or something? Like, is there a way to kind of because we're mostly a feature length podcast? Yeah, though, that's and that's that's the thing. You know what I mean? Like, how could we kind of pigeonhole it in? I'm not sure. I don't maybe animated shorts, but I I don't know. Because, yeah, we went specifically with the features this time just because I thought it would kind of muddy the waters a little bit. Because I right. Frankly, the Wallace and Gromit shorts are so good that you could have just nominated like three of those. (laughs) So it's like, all right, let's let's be a little more fair here. And I'd like to do like a well-rounded Ardman discussion and we could still talk about those. Mm. But, yeah, I don't really know, because, again, there's so many. Pixar shorts. There's so many Pixar ones. I mean, all of the Looney Tunes have That's to count right, towards yeah. those. So you have to do Duck Amuck. You have to do, mm. uh, you know, Steamboat Willie, all of the Disney That's ones. Right. Like, uh. there are so many. But they had been around, point being, for several decades. I think they were started in, like, the 70s. Yeah. And were doing stuff on British television and doing quite well on British television for many decades before they make the trip across the pond yeah. with Chicken Run. And the funny thing is actually doing some research into this none of these movies with the exception of one really strike a chord overseas they all do very well internationally chicken run is the only one 
that makes a lot of money in the U.S. It is still their highest grossing movie to date. It's, you know, it reminds me of like when they were making Jurassic Park and they had to make sure they got those dinosaurs just right. They had something to prove. Yes. And it's similar here with Chicken Run where it's like, OK, if we're going to really show ourselves to America and therefore the world. Mm. Yeah. Let's make sure we don't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I was a child when these movies all came out or when the majority of them came out. And I specifically remember when Curse of the Were-Rabbit came out. And I remember watching that movie. I think we've talked about this in the yes. pod before. Uh, and I just didn't get it. I didn't like it. I couldn't make it through. Um, and listen, who knows what is happening in the mind of a child? Uh, you know, I've kind of I, I, I've softened my take on this a little bit. I, I used to be, I think, in my teenage years into my 20s, I was very like children's movies are arch. They have to be, you know, to the same quality as adult films. Like the excuse that the movie is for kids is not a valid excuse. And now I'm like, you know what? The new Mario movie is out this week and it made $200 million and my my little cousin is really excited to see it and whatever. Like kids like what kids like. And so who knows the enigma, the mystery wrapped within the enigma that is the mind of a 10 year old in 2005. Yes. You know, with you specifically, I don't know. I don't know what was happening with me. I think, well, the funny thing about this is that these are movies that parents would gladly show their kids in movies that they would gladly watch themselves. Yes. They are these great crossover where it's like, you know, you don't have to worry about this. Some of the, I don't know, more mature ideas that you have to deal with in Toy Story 3, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. You, you don't have to necessarily worry about being sad, but you don't have to be ashamed that you're watching something stupid mm. because of how wonderfully crafted almost all of these movies are yes and just how like great they are as comedies great how great they are as send-ups of the genres they're they're talking about they're just genuinely inventive imaginative fun and funny movies yeah it's the perfect family movie in my opinion yeah it's funny that you you mentioned some of the pixar movies there because Tonally, these are a lot goofier than a lot of the Pixar movies. And I think I was expecting something. They're cartoons. Yeah, a little more dry, a little more mature, a little more adult oriented. And that's not really what I got here. These are, for the most part, goofy crowd pleasers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was happening in 2005 with me. I think like their Britishness was definitely a turnoff. Well, that was definitely the case for you with Where Rabbit because it's arguably yes. their most British. It's incredibly British, and I just didn't know like what those two fellows were all about. You know, they seem like good guys, but like I don't know. They love cheese and crackers. Well, one of them is just crackers for cheese. <laughs> Lovely food for rabbits, that is. Yeah. I could not stop laughing after <laughs> I'm just crackers about cheese. I mean, that killed I'm just, me. I'm just crackers about cheese. And Peter Salas in that oh, role was... Um, rest in peace. God rest his soul. Ooh, I do like a bit of Gorgonzola. <laughs> yeah, so 10-year-old me is like, fuck that. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck that guy and his stupid sweater and his stupid inventions. <laughs> and his stupid dog. Like, the dog doesn't even talk? Like, what the hell? He doesn't talk, yet one of the most clearly defined yes. animated characters It's a, it's a miracle. It's a freaking miracle. Ever, yeah. by the way. Yeah. He has no mouth. Nope. Never mind, he doesn't talk. He does just, not have lips. Just eyebrows. It's all eyebrows and, and uh, yeah, and like gestures and like hand gestures and shit. Yep. Yeah. And th- th- that's been talked about a lot. For the, John, one of John Lasseter's favorite characters ever. Mm. One of uh, 
Matt Groening's favorite characters ever. They mm. did a homage to Wallace and Gromit in The Simpsons once, too. Yeah, listen, this is going to be a running theme. You were a much more sophisticated film yes. watcher as a child than That's I right. was. That's we right. talked about this on the Nickelodeon pod exactly about a month right. ago. Yes, I'm a very, you know, I've, I've been at this for years. Listen, I'm but I'm not alone, okay? These movies did well overseas. They didn't do well here. And it's because that we're idiot, you know, uh, nose pickers like me in That's the right. fifth grade when these movies came out. And... That's why DreamWorks ultimately dumped them. But they are excellent movies, and the British do it better than we do it, okay? You whippersnappers. Yeah. I think they made the... I think it was an amicable split. My understanding uh, is that they didn't want to continue with DreamWorks just because they thought they were losing a bit of their identity by sticking with DreamWorks. Certainly. And you can kind of feel the negotiations happening in those earlier movies, particularly with Chicken Run. Which we'll talk about. And yeah. I don't know if there will be a point of contention on this with when we're deciding which one should get in. Yeah. You can kind of feel the tug of war happening between the major American studio and the like little British indie claymation house. Jet Katzenberg is really working. Well, this, Katzenberg, right, being the main, yeah. main point, which is a whole fun little conversation in and of itself, which we will get into. Uh, are there any uh, films that you've watched recently that you want to spotlight before we dive into the convo? I watched Notting Hill recently for the first time. Oh, Hugh Grant, <laughs> apropos to our Hugh Grant yeah, conversation. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very good. I liked it. It yeah, was, it was a sweet little movie. Sure, I had a good time with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. Fun one. <laughs> yeah, very, very uh, uh, relevant. I understand. Yeah, no, no new. I've not seen any new movies lately. Okay, uh, so we'll have to save the John Wick Chapter Four talk to another day. Haven't seen it. Oh man, Donnie Yen, dude. Yeah. I mean, I did see Scream 6, which we, we saw that forever ago, but it's been that long. Yeah, since we haven't potted in a while. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. How, how is uh, Ghostface Takes Manhattan? How is that? Fun. Yeah. It was fun. It's, uh-huh. I would argue, the dumbest in the series. Yes. Second to the bottom for me. Okay. <laughs> Not bad at all, but think about it for a second and it's like, oh, that's dumb. Right. That's very dumb. But the set pieces definitely outdo the fifth movies in that sense okay and jenna ortega and and, uh, melissa barrera have kind of like risen in favor for me and then the supporting characters have fallen dramatically huh you would be shocked how many times people get stabbed in this movie and live it is insane how impenetrable some of these people are i i mean there's even a point where they comment on how often they're getting stabbed and not dying so but like, Jesus Christ, it was getting on my nerves. I mean, listen, it is a franchise that as bloody as it is and as violent as it is, it is very precious about keeping some of its characters around. It's true. It's like true. It, it's it kind of gets squeamish about killing off its leads. So, yeah, that's not surprising to me that they get Jenna Ortega in a movie now and she's, you know, fresh off the Wednesday Adams show and. They want to keep her around for a five-picture deal. That doesn't surprise me. But it's not always the leads, though. It's these supporting characters that mm. are just not very well-written and are obnoxious beyond belief. One character gets stabbed like 20 times in the side and in the stomach, mm. which you don't live from. Mm. You just don't. And uh, he makes it out fine. He's all good. He's all mm. good, bro. He's getting stabbed by two killers at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Double-fisted. <laughs> I will say this. Huh. Uh I, I know it sounds like I'm being negative about it. It is, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, the biggest way to go movie moment is that opening. It is excellent. Okay. A really, really great opening sequence. Okay. One of the best that they've done. Okay. Uh, let's start. 
the Ardman talk. Uh, okay, the five on? nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame are 2000's Chicken Run, 2005's The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, 2011's Arthur Christmas, 2012's The Pirates <laughs> in an Adventure with Scientists. Or a Band of Misfits in America. We're going to have a long conversation about titles in a little bit. They so need to stop it with these t- international titles. Hold that thought. <laughs> and 2015's Shaun the Sheep movie. One of them getting into the movie Hall of Fame. I don't like the look of this one. His eyes are too close together. Papa, please. And he's a yank. Easy, Pops. Cockfighting's illegal where I come from. And where is that exactly? Uh, just a little place I call the land of the free and the home of the brave. Scotland. No, America. Oh, America. Poppycock. Pushy Americans, always showing up late for every war, overpaid, oversexed, and over here. Hey, what's eating Grandpa? We'll begin with Chicken Run from 2000. Yes. Directed by Nick Park and Peter Lord. Nick Park kind of... The, the main creative force at Ardman Entertainment over the last 20, 30 years. The Miyazaki, the John Lasseter, the, you know. I went to school in his hometown. Fun fact. No shit. Yeah, he was born in Preston, and I went to, I took, did a semester at University of Central Lancashire. Oh. Yeah, he's part of Preston Legends, and he seems like a very, very sweet man. I would love to meet him. <laughs> very British sentence you just dropped. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> This one stars Mel Gibson, Julia <laughs> Sawala, and Phil Daniels. I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce Julia's last name correctly. When a cockerel apparently flies into a chicken farm, the chickens see him as an opportunity to escape their evil owners. As I mentioned, this is the highest grossing Ardman film to date. It's also the highest grossing stop motion animation film to date. It is their first collaboration with DreamWorks Animation. And I, I think it's sort of the beginning of the end of that collaboration. It doesn't quite work out as well as they would hope. And I think it's just because the studio at that time was pretty hands-on, yes. pretty annoying. Yes. Made some good stuff. I mean, this is one of the good things that they helped out with, but they were not the easiest to work with. Big cats. Yeah, specifically that uh, Katzenberg dude. Yes. Yeah. Right. Who is like, what if we could make this into 10-minute quick bits? <laughs> And make them vertically oriented. <laughs> what if the chickens were in portrait mode? Mm. That's what Katzenberg was thinking to himself in the early 2000s. Uh, yeah, you know, I loved this movie when I was a kid. The poster kind of freaked me out a bit because it had those chickens smiling in that very creepy way. This is something that frustrates me because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And a lot of people are weirded out by claymation. I yeah. never understood it personally. Yeah. Is it, maybe it's just the uncanniness of it. And that's probably exactly what it is. Yes. But I just love the design of those characters. I love the charm that's put into them. Now I find them very funny. They're they very, very funny. like schlubby and awkward and yeah, exactly. they don't look like chickens or people. They're just like these weird amorphous things. It could only be described as British. Even if I didn't know anybody, yes. I was like, that's a British fucking creation right there. Totally. Yeah. But I think when I was a kid, like, I don't even know if it, if I processed the fact that those were chickens, even if the movie was called Chicken Run. Sure. They just looked like weird ghouls with these very 
strange smiles. They were like half smiles, you know. Sure, it's yeah. like uh, if a five-year-old poses for a, a, a photograph for the first time, you know, a school photograph. That's how they would smile. <laughs> they just would a talk. big toothy grin. You know? Yeah, that's the thing that people people got to remember. This is why everyone hated the uh, Sonic design. The first one was because of those fake teeth that they gave. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Yeah, t- weird cartoon teeth doesn't always play well. They got to be careful with that. Yeah. So I remember I had either the VHS or DVD. I don't remember what it was, but that cover was burned in my brain. With them running? No, not with them running. The one where it's the two main characters oh, smiling and they kind of like a tilted. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tilted and looking into the. With the Rocky and uh, Ginger. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that always kind of freaked me out. But I remember loving the the movie as a child. Don't exactly remember why. But now it's sort of clicking for me. Oh, this is the most American movie of the bunch. Yep. Literally, they put Mel Gibson in this. I know he's not an American actor, but they put Mel Gibson to inject a little Americanness into this very British production and the humor is very American and the action sequences are are very loud and. You know, it is uh, literally a parody of The Great Escape to the point where yep. there's yep. the ball bouncing and all of the, the planning un- and the tunnel, the tunneling. Yeah. yeah, it is the the Great Escape in, in a way that is incredibly on the nose if you have seen The Great Escape. But it is American as all fuck. And you can, again, feel the compromises sure. that Ardman is making here. Doesn't make it bad. No. At all. No. At all at all. It just if we're on the discussion of. The argument of it all, it kind of makes it a more complicated conversation. But just looking at the movie all on its own in a bubble, a wonderful, fun, surprisingly dramatic movie. Mm. A lot of people watch this movie and they see it as like a cartoon and they see it as a comedy, but they are drastically underselling how felt the dramatic sequences actually are and how much how strong the sense of doom is a chicken gets beheaded gets beheaded yeah still to this day and i watched this movie a couple months ago and thinking about where they realize that rocky can't fly and the mm. way that shot and the way the music the sound drops out a little bit and then the really scary music comes up the lightning when she puts up this piece of the poster back up yeah it is rough dude yeah. and then they're just standing there as the rain falls on them they look so sad and pathetic and yeah. god it works yeah it's a very good movie yeah but you're right in that it's very clear that Armin is trying hard to please the big man here mm. the pitch for this movie was to jeff katzenberg and steven spielberg well i think we want to do great escape with chickens and spielberg was like i have 300 chickens at my ranch and great escape is my favorite movie <laughs> yeah there you go there's your movie <laughs> So thank you, Steven Spielberg, for allowing Chicken Run to get made. Sure. But I, I this this was my hesitation with like if we're considering Chicken Run later down the line, my only big hang up with it is the fact that it is so fucking American. You're right. Yes. <laughs> I think what you're touching on here is that these movies, all of them, have a clear understanding of genre. Yes. And they play around in the in the sandbox of genre beautifully mm-hmm. in all of these movies. Yes. And this one really understands the tropes of World War II prison break films. Oh yeah. You know, in particular. And yeah, like there's a little bit of horror in there, but there's also like these pretty gnarly like anti-capitalist themes in there sure. too of like the grind of being a chicken and like you know, the oppression uh, of the of the owner of the means of operation. And yep. like a lot of people have described it as kind of a Marxist movie or a, or a feminist movie. And, you know, that's all like all really in there. Like it's a movie that doesn't pull punches in that way, although it is 
very American in like its sense of humor and in its style. Its style for sure. That that's the thing I was most uh, I, I took note of when I watched it. Is like even from the beginning, it's a, it, the, the action sequences are not at all what the action sequences are in Curse of the Were Rabbit. Yes, or Pirates for that matter. Right. Rush on the sheep. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but like in terms of its ideas, like this is the work of a British humorist. You know what I yeah. mean? Like these ideas are like very sophisticated and adult, even though it is wrapped up. You know, with a Mel Gibson character shooting himself out of a cannon or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a actually really smart movie. And Very smart. rewatching it again, like I understood the things that I liked in it as a kid, but I got so much more out of it now, which is the, uh, you know, the sign of a great animated film. Yeah, completely agree. The, 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 the ideas it's playing around with, particularly with like, <laughs> the, 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 like you said, with the capitalist side of it, both with the chickens and also the, the Tweedies. Yes. Tweedies. Yes. <laughs> and Mrs. Tweedy. Mrs. Tweedy. Why does he call his wife Mrs. Tweedy? I don't know. Never... She calls him by his first name. He calls her Mrs. Tweedy. I think she calls him Mr. Tweedy. Okay. She does. She does. But I don't know why they do that. Yeah. I don't recall that being a thing in England either. Okay. What is that chicken doing outside the fence? <laughs> oh, good stuff. No, I, and I, yeah, just a comment. The way it plays with those stuff is actually very like scary and upsetting at times and there sounds like they're going to do it again with the sequel coming out oh this yeah they're year. doing a sequel this year yeah dawn of the nugget which yeah. can only mean they're going even harder with that idea yeah <laughs> if we're talking about chicken nuggets now yeah again when i rewatched it the thing that struck me the most was the drama those are the scenes that that moved me the most and i think about the scene with rocky and ginger up on the roof talking about trying to escape and hopefully touching grass for the first time yes that's a really moving moment and it just reminds me just how well written this stuff is aside from just again the craftsmanship of that opening sequence to the craftsmanship of the pie machine sequence let's talk about the pie machine for a holy second. shit this movie so well made it's an unbelievable sequence going back to the wrong trousers <laughs> This is a company that understands how to maximize limited physical space. Yes. Although they are working in animation, their locations and their sets, quote unquote, are usually very quaint. Yep. And, you know, we talked about this on the Nickelodeon podcast. When you make a feature length version of either a short or a television series, the temptation is always to blow it up, to make the stakes bigger, to sure. to uh, make the animation style more uh, flamboyant. Ardman doesn't really do that. They are able to find excitement and drama out of like the minutia of everyday life. And, you know, in the wrong trousers, like the whole action sequence there takes place in Wallace and Gromit's living room. And here they are able to maximize the limited physical space of that pie making machine. It's Mm -hmm. just like, all right, how many interesting ideas can we fit literally into this metal box? They fit it all in there and every stage of that chase sequence, it's kind of like the Temple of Doom uh, mine shaft sequence, right? Every stage of that is visually engaging, you know, and that is the miracle of if so many of these movies is the, the way that they're able to maximize kind of like, you know, limited resources. When you're making a movie, particularly action sequences, you, you can block it out, but there is always some room for experimentation just because mm. you have the space set up and you have the actors and you can kind of play with the choreography on the day sometimes. And with this, it's like you have to really commit to the idea and you have to commit to the idea like months in advance. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Mm. You can't start 
doing stop motion animation of all things too and then decide you know what i want them to go over here it's like no right. no 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 no. you have to believe in your idea wholeheartedly and yes. go for it otherwise it, you're you're gonna you're not gonna be able to make the movie because it takes you a month to do 10 seconds worth of animation essentially right yeah yeah and i've done stop motion animation the thought of doing the pie machine sequence in stop motion mm. it does make you be, go like why don't you just do it with cg and right. then you're like <laughs> Uh, but that's what makes this so good. Yeah, no, that's the charm. <laughs> it's like, wow. And we're going to get to it when we talk about the one CG movie on this list, which I think is a fine movie. Yeah. But yeah, so much of the charm just evaporates when you put CG into these things. Yeah, there is a human personal touch that's certainly absent with those other movies. I mean, you literally yeah. see the fingerprints yep. in these early movies. You see the thumbprints on the claymation figures. And that is a feature, not a bug. No, you yeah, know, I agree. The the movies here that I think are the weakest are the ones that have a little bit of glossiness, a little bit of sleekness on top of it. You know, like the jankiness and the DIY quality is is what makes these things sing. You yes, know? absolutely, absolutely. So another quick aside because I always want to mention this: the music in these movies and uh, this one in particular too. I always go back to when they're f- constructing the plane. The yeah. ornithopter actually is what it is for the first time. Yeah. Wow, is it the most uplifting thing ever? Yeah, I love the music in Ardman films. I love when all the chickens are in the plane and they're yeah, they're it's all crazy. pedaling. They're the, pedaling, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, God, uh, what's God? Oh man, I hate that I can't remember her name. It's not Bunty. It's the fatter one. Those chickens are funny as hell too. Like ba- ba- Babs, that's <laughs> yeah, what it is. Babs, Babs, yeah, and she's knitting while she's pedaling. That's the best. Morning, Ginger, back from holiday. We mustn't panic. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) We mustn't panic. Why didn't we think of it before, lad? The solution to all our storage problems. (laughs) Simply by connecting the Bunvac to the mind manipulation omatic, we can brainwash the bunnies. (laughs) Rabbit rehabilitation. 2005, this is another collaboration with DreamWorks, and it is a continuation of the classic British short films. It's Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, directed by Steve Box and Nick Park, starring, of course, Peter Salas as Wallace, along with Helena Bonacarter and Rafe Fiennes. <laughs> the Rafe Fiennes performance. He's so fun. He's the best. <laughs> Winner of Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards. Oh, this is why I watched it. I watched it and I'm like, oh, this is winning the fucking Oscar? And I'm I'm like, what, what do you mean? Where's Shrek 3? <laughs> Nico, if anything else got the Oscar, I would have rioted. <laughs> Wallace and his loyal dog Gromit set out to discover the mystery behind the garden sabotage that plagues their village and threatens the annual giant vegetable growing contest. As I mentioned, it grossed $192 million worldwide, most of that gross being international. Still pretty good. Uh, was considered kind of a disappointment stateside. Yeah. This is a sort of parody of Hammer Horror Films. Yep. I think it was described by Nick Park as a vegetarian horror film. You know, so much of horror movies are about eating brains and the undead and yeah. killing people. And this is like, what if... Protect all veg. Yes. Please. <laughs> you know, what if we killed vegetables instead? What if the monsters didn't eat meat? Thank you, Antipesto. 
Here we go. Uh, <laughs> all right, here's the thing. So I watched The Wrong Trousers for the purposes of this. <laughs> yeah. The Wrong Trousers is like one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Yes. It's so good. Yes. It's so fucking good. It's better than most Hitchcock films. <laughs> so it's like their Hitchcock riff where yes. a penguin moves in with so Wallace and Gromit and decides he, he's going to frame Wallace for the robbery of a diamond. And Gromit figures it out, and the penguin like disguises himself as a chicken by putting a rubber glove on his head. Good grief. It's you. It's- <laughs> and it includes this train sequence at the it's end that the is coolest thing ever. so good. There, it's a model train. Um, it's the best that Wallace and Gromit and the penguin mm. are, uh, are uh, chasing each other on. It's amazing. And so like watching this movie, it kind of pales in comparison to that. I just wish that we were talking about wrong trousers instead. Because, you know, again, this does do the thing where we have to stretch this out into a feature. And they do all the stuff that you're supposed to do when you make a feature length adaptation. They include the big King Kong parody at the end. You know, and sometimes the, the scope of it is a little less charming than it is in the wrong trousers. Um, so like I can't get that out of my head That being said These guys are really growing on me These are like my, my chums now They're my pals It's my second favorite Wallace and Gromit movie I think I still don't The other thing about it too It's funny you mentioned the scope though I think it's that perfect balance of like Being able to make a feature But also maintaining the kind of quaintness That makes it so specifically British Yes Never leaves that village And the action sequences Despite how imaginative and frenetic they are Still take place in like people's back lots yes often underground in like the woods and and that's it they never really venture too far out of that funny enough though i actually don't think it's the biggest wallace and gromit has gotten it's not bigger than uh, a close shave uh-huh. and it's not bigger i wouldn't well, i'm not even sure if it's bigger than uh, a matter of loaf and death yeah if you've seen a grand day out here is a plucky old man and his dog and they like cheese yeah and they like inventing stuff and then they go to the moon Right. They go oh, right. They go to the moon. They go the to the moon. moon. Yeah, and the yeah, moon yeah. is made of cheese. So sure. we're talking about the bigness of our men. Wallace and Gromit is strangely the one that is the most out there and cartoony of yeah, the bunch. Yeah. Which is the tone you need to settle in. I think some people struggle with that because um a stop motion is physical. There's a difference between like the physical stuff there and the hand drawn animation. Aladdin, you think of stuff like that and you could do whatever you want, and then when you put like physical toys essentially in front of the camera, it's hard for people to catch on to the fact that this is supposed to be a cartoon yeah you know the closest thing to a live action cartoon that you get right well because wallace in particular it's like you know if you're a child why am i watching this you know animated movie about an old man and his dog yeah why am i looking at that thing too because they look so fucking weird wallace looks very weird yeah i mean he's a right he's a weird looking old man he just looks like a thumb essentially (laughs) and yeah, not the easiest sell when like SpongeBob SquarePants is a couple networks over. You know what I mean? And not the easiest sell if you've seen Chicken Run immediately before it. Sure. Because that is a movie that does hold your hand as an American viewer. Designs the movie very much for more American sensibilities. You, you just look at the character designs of Mr. and Mrs. Tweety versus Wallace. Yes. I mean, not to say that Mr. and Mrs. Tweety is realistic but they're significantly more realistic than this yeah the heads are flat the lips are ridiculously huge that the mouths don't make any sense none of that stuff is is at all in line with reality aside from the fact that this person has legs and arms right (laughs) well it's minimalist yes and i think that is the charm now watching these movies i you know i i I saw an interview with 
Spielberg once talking about Chuck Jones's animation style and about his facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And that that was the thing about Looney Tunes that made Looney Tunes so brilliant is that the animation and the physical logic of the space was so wacky and out yeah. there. But facially, like Bugs is not really doing much with his lips and with his eyebrows. No. He does the bare minimum to convey the emotional stakes of the scene. Sure. And that's what is going on here. And I think like, yeah, there's a, you know, a bit of a learning curve. If you're an American viewer, you know, American animation tends to be larger than life, tends to be very expressive. And, you know, this movie's a little gray. It's a little slow. Uh, or I should maybe say I, I should say it's slow. Sl- but. It's slower than your average, uh, you know, animated film here. It's more quaint. Like a lot of the fun is just happening in Wallace and Gromis's kitchen at certain points. Yes. And the jokes are minimalist. Right. And you really have to you know, pay attention to understand exactly what Gromit is thinking at any given moment, because as we mentioned before, he's all eyebrows. Right. He doesn't even have a mouth. But funny, <laughs> funny enough, I think despite the you know minimalism that's present with Gromit and I, I alluded to this earlier, is that it's like one of the most perfectly understood characters I've ever seen. Yeah. And so you get him with the first action sequence, how he operates, what he thinks, what he thinks of Wallace. Right. And he fucking hates Wallace. And listen, Wallace is a prick. He doesn't hate him. He's he's irritated by him. He's ir- he's like a bad boss. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as as Terry Gilliam once said, they they're so irritated by each other, but God, they love each other. That's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, but, no, but Wallace is a prick. Like he's always getting into trouble. He's always asking Gromit to bail him out. He's not a prick. He's an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's a buffoon. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yet yet for some reason, he's this inventor, and that's the <laughs> right. But the the inventions hardly ever work. But <laughs> sure. He's always getting into trouble and his dog's always got to bail him out and fucking Gromit just wants to sit there and knit. Exactly. It's just love the knitting. He it's loves the, knitting. Every anytime I see a character just spontaneously break out into knitting. Yeah. It's just the best. Yeah. No, I, I Wallace is more the dog, which is the interesting thing. Yes, sure. Yeah, and Gr- Gromit is the brilliant hero. If you watch a close shave, <laughs> Gromit's the man flying around in a plane yeah. and trying to save Sean. Right. And Wallace. Yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, I'm he, warming up to these guys. He just wants to put his his melon in the competition and win. He loves that melon. He's treated it for months and months. A lot of melon it. jokes in this. A lot of melon jokes. <laughs> Smell my veg. <laughs> Can you taste it, Wallace? You've taken an interest in my produce. <laughs> dude. Then at the end, Gromit's naked and he puts the box over himself. May contain nuts. That is one of the best visual gags I've ever done. Because it's so, it, again, it just happens. It's very quick. Right. They don't draw any attention to it. It's just there. Yeah. Which is, again, so much the conceit of a lot of their comedy mm. in a lot of these movies. It's like, you notice it or you don't notice it. We're just going to keep moving on. And those who do will have the best laugh. Uh, one more point about just the filmmaking here. Because, again, we talked about how these movies fit into genres. All of them kind of have their own genre that they're playing they within. Do. This one really understands what a horror movie is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. even though it's not like scary. There's one kind of scary sequence where Gromit is on the street corner and the were-rabbit is kind of haunting him. Yeah, yeah, and it throws the the sign at the carrot sign at them. Yes. Yep. It's not so much playing around with like our horror of today. It's like classic kind of universal monster yeah. horror. Yeah, sure. And, you know, a lot of Dutch angles, the, the scene with the priest... Where they're talking about the golden bullet and the, all the lightning strikes. Yeah. A bullet? A bullet? A bullet? 
What kind of bullet? And they just shut the... the <laughs> you gotta close it. Close There's the windows. 24 carat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but this really, it understands, it understands film. It understands genre, you know? And the filmmaking is, is very inspired. And, very. and it goes beyond just like the sort of surface level references to King Kong or whatever. Like, it understands what a King Kong movie is supposed to look like beyond, you know, including a, a giant creature climbing on top of a tower and helicopters around him yeah it knows how to draw attention to it and pay homage to it in a way that's like kind of specific to them that does work and still has the charm and everything and gets it right that's the important thing i would say um it's one of those movies that like even the jokes even when they're they're like obvious are still like fun like there's lots of instances where it's like i might criticize it in, an, in another movie but it's a charming knowingness like where Lady Toddington is up there speaking and she has the angel wings behind her. Like that's funny enough. And then you cut to Ray Fiennes and then he's oh, the devil like, horn, yeah. Yeah, positions behind the pitchfork. And it's just like a quick little thing. Yeah. And they don't need to do it. They don't need to hang on it for long, but it's just kind of there. And even that, I don't know. There's just something about it that is really, really funny to me. Yeah, they, they actually they do that joke again in the Shaun the Sheep movie. They do. When uh, the farmer enters the barn and he has the devil horns behind him. Mm hmm. Um, so too. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, no, they're, yeah, they um, they really do maximize the visualness of it all. And yeah, that's one thing I found about all these movies. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it feels like in modern animation. First of all, there's such an emphasis on who's in the voice cast, and it also feels like the performances are recorded separate and apart from even like a rough idea of what the animation is supposed to look yeah, like. That's right. Kind of feels like they just like bring in Ariana Grande on a Saturday <laughs> and have her record her lines in one take and then they kind of fit it into the animation a year later. And you know, I don't know exactly what the process is here, but it doesn't feel like these movies are overwritten. And I think that's because in claymation, you have to be very precise and yeah. very particular about every frame. You can't waste frames and you have to have a clear plan and a clear sense of vision before you start any phase of the process. It's, like I said, no experimentation. There's too much work to do it over again. It has to be exactly what it is. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of the sort of modern studio animated movies, it just feels like there's a lot of talking and a lot of explaining going on. Whereas in animation, it is the ultimate show. Don't tell medium. Yep. You know, and here it's like, yeah, that simple visual idea of the devil horns yep. and the angel wings like, you know, that is something that you could explain through, you know, exposition or I'll give you an even better example. When Gromit discovers that Wallace is the were rabbit, spoiler alert. One of alert. the best visual sequences. And it's a great yeah. twist. It's actually like a really compelling bit of screenwriting, but they don't go out of their way to explain it to you, to hold your hand. And in so many kids' movies these days, it's like Mario is explaining exactly what Bowser's plan is. I haven't seen the new Mario movie yet. but No, but you're right. That the, in that entire sequence, I mean, yeah, the, just based on the fact that you have Gromit kind of carrying out the scene for you, it's going to be quiet. Yes. But it's all got to be unspooled visually with him just discovering the pieces. Hmm. This is sort of a carryover with a lot of... British humor in general is that they tend to be more visually oriented. That's a carryover with a lot of what Edgar Wright does. It's a carryover from a lot of what um, Monty Python does and certainly what the Aardman guys like to do. There And there is a lot of like fun lines in this movie. Don't get me wrong. We've been quoting them. But so much of this is just so visually funny. This yeah. is a funny movie to yeah. me. It's the funniest with the exception of maybe one of, I don't know. No, nah, this is the funniest to me personally. 
the scene where Ray Fiennes is about to shoot the rabbit, and then it gets sucked in the hole, and it's praying to God, and it looks up, <laughs> and the light, <laughs> the light, it's going towards the light. <laughs> Is the be- I lose my shit every time I see this cute little clay bunny going up to the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much shit like that. This the the fight scene in the plane where they stop and the dog takes out his cute little pink knapsack. They're like, yeah. oh, we got to start the ride again, and then yeah. I'll start choking yeah, you again. Change, yeah. Right. Oh man, and everything with Hutch. Every single bit with Hutch, who is the Wallace Rabbit hybrid. Yeah. I cannot get enough of it. It is it is awesome. And we've already been saying there's just some really wonderful visually creative sequences, like the first chase with the were-rabbit mm. through the streets, the plane fight on top of the rooftops, the were-rabbit himself and those transformation sequences in the woods is really great, and rabbit rehabilitation. I mean, that, that's sort of commenting on like animal testing and, and yeah. trying to rehabilitate things in a very unnatural way when sometimes it's better to just let them loose in their own personal sanctuary at the end. They hate institutions, these yeah, Ardman guys. You know, like th- that is a theme that you see time and time time again of it's not so much the people that even run the institutions it is the institutions themselves Mm -hmm. that are innately evil you know like you look at the animal control department in the Shaun the Sheep movie but also you know at the beginning of Shaun the Sheep the grind of working at a farm we'll talk about that in a little bit yeah these are these are movies that that yes they they believe in grace they believe in compassion oh yeah uh, everyone hugs at the end of these movies uh, right every single time Santa's head seems to be resting on some sort of triny button, sir. It's the Quack Quack Moo Activity Farm, sir. It features 12 separate animal sounds and sings Old MacDonald Had a Farm. The moment your father lifts his head, there'll be 10 seconds of constant mooing. Risk of mooing, 98%. Captain Marino, you're going to have to take the batteries out. Oh, you'd have to get past the wrapping, the box. And 14 twist ties anchoring it to the cardboard. <gasps> it's too noisy! You'll wake the boy! He'll see Santa! Remember 1816? When Santa was seen, they tracked him home. He had to go into hiding. No Christmas for six years. <laughs> the elves all alone! <laughs> the elves alone! Arthur Christmas from 2011 is a movie directed by Sarah Smith and Barry Cook. Stars James McAvoy, who I found quite irritating. <laughs> quite irritating in this movie. Uh, Jim Broadbent, Bill Nighy, and Hugh Laurie. Santa's clumsy son, Arthur, sets out on a mission with Grand Santa to give out a present they misplaced to a young girl in less than two hours. Uh, grossed $147 million worldwide. Again, kind of a Mets Mets performance stateside. Okay, Arthur Christmas. This is their second CGI film. Their second and uh, final CGI film, yeah. correct? Yep. I mean, they they might end up doing it again. You never know. They're not opposed to it. I know Peter Lord has no problem doing these movies. He's talked quite glowingly about this one in particular. Feels like the studio kind of stalled, though, in this period. Because they make Flushed Away, which is a movie that you did not nominate here. No, but, but I, I have, saw as a kid. I have seen it. Uh-huh. And it's very good. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. The only issue, it, the the one thing I like, I think a little bit more about Flushed Away, I don't think it's a better movie than this, but Kate Winslet's very good in it. Yeah. And Hugh Jackman, also very good. And uh, of course, Ian McKellen as the villain is sort of indelible. 
I remember loving the idea flushed away. The idea that the rats that live in the sewers are worried at the halftime of the World Cup or whatever. That, that they're going to get <laughs> flushed out by yeah. all the people taking pisses. Yeah. That's literally <laughs> the climax of the movie. I don't know, like a big soccer guy, but I remember like enjoying like the, you know, British culture. Like it, it's a very like pop cultural movie in the way that a lot of, you know, other animated movies of the era aren't. Um, so I liked kind of the sports tie in and everything. Um, but that was a movie that did not do well at the box office, nope. period. And that was the end of the DreamWorks partnership. That was the last movie they did with DreamWorks. Although the seams were kind of coming undone a little bit on Were Rabbit. They didn't want to be dealing with them anymore. And one of the things about Were Rabbit when, when they were talking with Jeff Katzenberg again is that they always felt a pressure to make it less British. They have been quoted yes. by saying the studio would come to us and be like, can you just make it a little less British? Right. Which is Wasn't there like one particular note where they said we, we got to make Gromit's car or Wallace's car a little more modern, a yep. little more cool looking? Again, fucking Jeff Katzenberg. Yeah. Would come to them and be like, why isn't it a nice shiny red car? Yeah. And it's clearly coming from a guy who's never stepped foot in England. Yes. And has no idea about English sensibilities and the fact that they're not glamorous. Yes. <laughs> despite what you may think about the queen, the English people as they say, always apologize when they walk into a room. The unglamorous is part of what makes them so fun and lovable. Sure. So at this point, DreamWorks is out of the picture. They just sign a deal with Sony. Although, Flush Away was 2006 and Arthur Christmas was 2011. So it was kind of a transitional period for the studio. I think they did another Wallace and Gromit short around that time. Yep. It felt to me, at least, that they were kind of in search of an identity with Arthur Christmas, which I think is, for the most part, a, a decent... Christmas movie. I always think it's very good, actually. I, I, I think it's good. I, <laughs> okay. I enjoyed it. Again, the charm of Claymation is not here. And Flushed Away is a movie where they actually animate it in the style of Claymation. The figures actually, yeah. they look like clay. This was the problem with that movie, though. It's very, for that reason, they're trying to mimic their Claymation style, but like, why not just do it claymation then? They don't have any of the, like I said, the fingerprints, the movements for the animation's not quite right because it's CGI. Right. And it just feels like it's, I don't know, like it's hiding from itself in a way. It's like, well, we can keep the visual iconography of our claymation, but make it CGI. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, because like you said, it kind of sucks away a level of the charm. It, it's it's still present in the movie's writing, but yeah, it does lose something when, you, when you're, you're trying to kind of mimic it, but not totally be the thing. Right. Uh, that's how I felt about Arthur Christmas. I like the idea of this movie a lot. The uh, Essentially, you know, Santa is a title that is passed down from generation to generation. There yep. is a grandpa Santa and a, and a baby Santa. And, you know, it's this big corporate structure at this point. Back to the sort of anti-capitalist, yep. you know, anti-structural themes of these movies. Like, it, it, the North Pole Enterprise has become too big for itself. And it's now this, like, big conglomerate. <laughs> Which uh, is great, by the way. Which yeah. is true to what christmas is sure but yeah exactly but literally like <laughs> even santa has been infected by the disease that is capitalism that is greed right yes it's it's a, it's a great use like applying that theme to the christmas setting in one of the better ways that i've seen honestly yes it's a great movie to show to your kids to be like how does santa do it well this is how he does it now. yes yeah. so th that's kind of the, yeah. the seed of of this movie the idea that begins this movie how does santa deliver all these presents in one night and the answer is there is this 
multi-layered operation all basically at the same time across the globe the elves descend mission impossible style into homes and covertly uh, secure the presence in each location and they don't really explain it through magic they explain it through technology and through you know the tropes of a spy movie that's super cool Uh, i also love the idea of like hugh laurie being you know the coo of this company that wants to be the ceo and he's you know the succession style family politicking that's going on here um the thing that i actually really like about his character in particular is in a worse movie he would have been more um, overtly evil yeah but he's not he's not there isn't really a villain in this movie like the conflict is Literally, how do we get the president to England? Yeah, how do we do the thing? Yes. We love a how, how do we do the thing movie. Exactly right. And there isn't like, you know, a bad guy. There are deadbeat dads and lazy bosses deadbeat and grandpas. <laughs> yes. By the way, the grandpa character, I think, is that Bill Nye? Yes. Okay, that is Bill Nye. Okay, good. Yeah. Great voice performance, as per usual. Never, as, as never per fails. Usual. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, you know, so there is, you know, th- th- this is, you know, part and parcel with the entire filmography of of Ardman, but there is a loathing of institutions, right? There is a loathing of the structures that keep people from doing good work and doing the right work, right? You know, Santa has been at it for 70 years. He doesn't want to retire out of a sense of pride, but like when he's done delivering the gifts, even if one gift is left behind, he feels the need to go to bed and nobody bothered me until the 26th because union rules demanded or whatever. Yeah, right. Like so funny, <laughs> you know, there, there is this, uh, yeah, there's this loathing of institutions here and that is the ultimate villain, right? It is, the, it is the commercialism. It is the structure around Christmas. That is the villain. And at its core, this is kind of just a movie about family tiffs, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. So I love all that. Yep. That being said, the animation didn't work for me. And it was this weird kind of uncanny valley in the faces of these characters. At times, yeah. The one sequence when they're in the desert and the, or whatever, it's the Serengeti or something, and the lions are chasing after them. Those lions would have looked a lot cooler if they were clay lions. And there's something very generic about the computer generated imagery here. That's the only problem I have with it. If we're talking about the animation, I actually prefer that they did this over what they did with Flushed Away, because at least they're they're making a deliberate attempt to say our CG is its own thing and our claymation is its other thing. Whereas like Flushed Away, as good as it is, it seems like they're scared to do one or the other. It's like pick a side, dude. Like you're pretending to be something you're not here. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this one just commits to the bit. Okay, we're doing CG. What's our look? I can't say I was distracted by the animation. I guess maybe if you're spoiled by Pixar, there's an element of that. Well, yeah, sure. So that that's a problem. And then also, if you know Ardman's other animation, you're like, one is clearly better than the other. Yes. But it never took me out of the movie. It was just a different style that I wasn't quite as used to seeing. And for me, anyway, I got used to it pretty quickly. Funny enough, it's not even the desert scenes that bother me. It was the control room sequences that yeah. bothered me the most. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily... I don't know how photo real it was. It was just the way Hugh Laurie's character was animated and how those elves were animated in that space. But when they were flying around, it made sense to me. Sure. And when they were going to certain houses, it made sense to me. Yeah. I'd have to watch Flushed Away again, I guess. Um, Like, here's the thing. They are goofy movies at their core. Like, there are some interesting ideas in them, but for the most part, like, they're silly. And, like, if you take away the style of an Aardman movie, like... 
what do you really have here? This is their most different in that way, stylistically. Yeah. Even in the writing, it's off. It often deviates. The only time it's it's it, it's most Ardman with Bill Nye's character. Yes. By far. Sure. Yeah, he's just injecting this thing with as much Ardman as he possibly can. Well, it's can. very British. A very British. Holy shit! Is 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 he a British ass character? Arthur. Arthur himself, yes. He annoys me. That's okay. He gets on my nerves. Because he's too good. He's too good a guy. (laughs) You know, all these guys being all good and shit. Like, dude, where's your problematic tweet, Arthur? Okay? He doesn't have one. He loves too well. His spirit of Christmas is too alive in Arthur. I like Arthur just fine in this. Just the scene where they're in the closet together is enough for me, dude. That's a great scene. That's a great scene. That's a great sequence yeah i think the movie works when it's really about the family as it is with you always speaking <laughs> about. about family salute me familiar <laughs> it's, it's best when it's about family yes, you know that's right so i didn't like arthur very much but i do love some of these other characters the the elf the rapping elf we have seen a lot of christmas movies lately and the elves have been consistent winners Yes. I've noticed. Right. The rapping elf in particular in this is one of my favorite elves, I would say. Yeah, it's kind of how like in the yeah. Batman movies, the Joker is always, you know, a standout. <laughs> and the elf is always like the MVP of the uh, of the Christmas film. Yeah, I love that little girl. Even though Grandpa Santa just abuses her throughout the entire thing, almost makes her suffocate by wrapping herself in wrapping paper. Grandpa Santa is a jackass. Yeah. He's a dirtbag. He needs help. He yes. needs help, people. He's senile. <laughs> he <laughs> probably has onset dementia. You know, I, you should not be driving around reindeer. That's a, that's a given. At one point, he sacrifices her to the lions. Um, <laughs> this is a movie that legitimately does not give a fuck. Like, uh, th- there is some real adult humor in there. Like, they are just losing reindeer left and fucking I right. I love that, dude. That's I like- love that shit. <laughs> so funny yeah <laughs> so we just left him in new york next to the inflatable all right yeah we're just gonna leave him there you know like at one point like the reindeer almost get mauled by the lions at another mm-hmm. point they just fall to their doom i also just love the notion of like what the institutions you know do not only to the thing that you love but also what it does to people generationally not just the younger people but what it's done to the grandpa character he is still infected by the same disease that the younger members of his family are infected by like he still wants the money shot when he delivers <laughs> the, yeah, that's the present to the girl like everyone within this structure conforms to the rules of it mm-hmm. you know um arthur's the most pure for sure yes and in this world being the person that delivers the gift is the most valuable currency getting the picture delivering the present getting to wear the suit getting the notes written to them that's the thing Santa is after. Similar to the way that like CEOs try to ascend to the tops of their companies yep. just to say that they are in charge of the company, even though there are thousands of people underneath them doing all of the work. Yep. Like the elves are doing just as much of the work, if not more of the work than Santa is doing. But it's about the credit, right? It's yeah, about no. being the guy at the top of the food chain. And grandpa wants that as yes, well he like does. he wants to he wants to relive that part of the, the job. glory days yeah it's, right it's not necessarily you know reliving the christmas magic right yeah um yeah, and that's the thing that arthur has that the rest of them don't have is that he is able to operate free of this system right you get the sense that there was a point where they were more like arthur though sure, i get that yeah. sense with his dad and also the grandpa santa but they've been kind of warped by the circumstances of how christmas has changed over the years yes uh you can tell they hated working for DreamWorks Hardman. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. You can tell all of that is in there. Like, they just hate the corporate structure. And I think 
a few years ago, Peter Lord is is the one that started the company, right? Like I think yep. he transferred ownership of the company. They're now they're independently financed now. They're not under Sony. They're not under DreamWorks. They're completely independent. I think he sort of dispersed ownership of the company to people that actually work there. It's more of a profit participation model that Ardman works with now. They hate playing the Hollywood game and they are much happier just having 30 animators working by themselves and we're just going to sell you the the movie later. Yep. You know? Yep, basically. So yeah, all of that is in there. It's the looting. It's the cutlasses. It's the looting. It's the cutlasses. Sorry, Captain. We were just discussing what's the best bit about being a pirate. Oh, you were, were you? I suggested it might be the looting. Whereas I contend it's the shiny cutlasses. And I thought it was a chance to catch exotic diseases. 2012's The Pirates! Exclamation point. In an adventure with scientists. (laughs) What a name. Another exclamation point. Yeah. In uh, America, this movie is referred to as the Pirates Band of Misfits. They also like swapped out a lot of the voice cast. Anton Yelchin and Al Roker have uh, American voice roles in place of a lot of uh, the British characters. Uh, so, yeah, they, they definitely did have to Americanize this one to a certain extent to make it appeal yeah. stateside. Uh, a, a, a title like that in an adventure with scientists was just not going to fly in the States. This is a movie directed by Peter Lord and Jeff Newitt. Hugh Grant stars in a pre-Paddington 2 role. He's delightful. In this? Oh, yeah. Martin Freeman's also in this. Selma Hayek, Jeremy Piven, David Tennant as Charles Darwin. fucking Tennant. (laughs) This is my standout of the movie. Holy shit, is he great in this? And these people are playing, and and I'll just read a couple of these. This is how the characters are credited in the closing credits of the movie. (laughs) They're playing characters like the pirate captain. The pirate with a scarf. The albino pirate. The pirate with gout. That's Brendan Gleeson's character. The surprisingly curvaceous pirate. The pirate who likes sunsets and kittens. Oh, man. This thing was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards. Pirate Captain, that's his name, sets out on a mission to defeat his rivals, Black Bellamy and Cutlass Liz. For the Pirate of the Year Award. The quest takes Captain and his crew from the shores of Blood Island to the foggy streets of Victorian London. They run into Charles Darwin and chaos ensues. This movie don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, it is. So, like, the premise here with Darwin being that, like, he's an incel. (laughs) I hate that word so much. He's like an incel that, like, wants to fuck Queen Victoria really bad. He just loves Queen Victoria, dude. Yeah, he wants to fuck, There's nothing wrong with loving Queen Victoria. He specifically (laughs) says, like, I want to get to second base with a woman. (laughs) I'll never get to second base with a woman. (laughs) So Darwin is, like... A scientist that's like really sexually frustrated and Queen Victoria, like his whole mission to find the missing link or whatever is uh, just to woo Queen Victoria. And I love that idea. Like, because you would always hear like Columbus sailed for the king and Darwin sailed for the queen. And it's like, 
Well, that's fucking, that's a weird thing to do. Why do you need the queen's approval? Well, well this uh, carries over to why I just love, like, just such an anarchic movie. This is a big movie to me. Like, it's it's sweeping, it's kind of globetrotting, a lot of shit happens, it's visually bananas. Mm. But at the core of it, it's just about a guy that wants to get pirate of the year yeah and about a guy that wants to fuck a girl yeah right that's it that's all the movie's really about yeah (laughs) and it's just so much fun this movie is so much fun. it's very funny it's hilarious yes it's very every time like the pirates disguise themselves as you know scientists or whatever and he goes it's us it's the pirates (laughs) we look like scientists but we're still the pirates we're still the pirates Hugh Grant is great. This Hugh Grant is so good in these roles. He's never been bad in basically everything I've seen him in. And these later roles are excellent, like legitimately excellent. This is a great, great voice performance, and it's one of the best on here. Mm. What is the best? Peter Salas? Peter Salas is the most iconic. Yeah, yeah. Salas is inventing a character whole cloth. You know yes, what I mean? Exactly. In the way that Hugh Grant is just kind of weaponizing his persona. But I, but I don't know. He's great. He is great. There's a sturdy great sea monster in the way. Oh, I, I, I think that's just there for decoration, Captain. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> I will say this. <laughs> yes. The rest of these movies, again, they play around with genre and they have sort of a take yes. on their subject matter, right? Like, Curse the Were-Rabbit is what if, you know, this was a man and a dog in a Universal Monster movie. And Chicken Run is what if these chickens were actually in prison? Or what if Santa Claus was, uh, you know, a lazy boss and a deadbeat dad? And this one is kind of just like, what if pirates did pirate things? <laughs> does <laughs> Like, it doesn't really, like, the joke doesn't go much further beyond, hey, we're pirates and we like plundering. <laughs> and, like, that's kind of the thing, and that's that's the hook. I love that, though. This is my question. Like, what is the hook in the movie? Well, I think you already kind of nailed it. Yeah, it's, right. it's, the, it's the adventure with pirates. which We're is, pirates which and is, we're pirates. Yes. You know, it's, yo-ho, yo-ho. It's, pl- it's playing up that idea to cartoonish effect, and I am more than okay with that we've bumped up on this in the past though do you need the genre thing to be great i think i just expected it coming into the movie that was kind of my expectation yeah i see i see and it it, i mean it's funny it's fun and the animation is beautiful and everything but it doesn't have that extra layer of like invention and and wit you know and i i think maybe that's what i was expecting it's a very writing just the premise oh the premise for sure yeah you know the premise is kind of just Pirates being right. idiots the, yes. whole, the whole time. The Darwin stuff is interesting. I think it's kind of interesting that, like, for American audiences, they downplayed that element of it. I know. But, yeah, I mean, they're just pirates, right? It doesn't matter, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're right, like, on the surface, it's just, like, about, like, let's just do a, our take on pirates plundering. What does an Ardman Pirates movie look like? And right. this is very, very, very much it. It's just too entertaining, though, dude. It's it's my Pacific Rim, where it's like, what is it? It's about robots fighting fucking aliens. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. But can you execute it well? <laughs> right. That's basically the whole movie. And it's kind of the most no-holds-barred Ardman movie, visually just incredible and it's another one of those instances where it's like there are a thousand visual jokes happening in every sequence and you have to pay attention sometimes to notice them and if you do notice those jokes it is hilarious it's just a movie i'm kind of laughing the entire time i think it's the weakest movie on the list Ooh, really interesting now uh, here's what they do with the animation style they go back to claymation they do but the scenery is mostly green screen so they do like cgi water 
you know, yes. with a claymation pirate ship on top of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there is a real sleekness to this thing. It's yes. really polished in a way that the other Ardman movies aren't. This is an example of of a claymation movie that you can't see the fingerprints on the clay figures. You know, it's very cleaned up. And I'm not sure they really take advantage of the clay here. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Like, this could have been another CGI movie, and, and I wouldn't have blinked. You know what I mean? Like, But the fact that it's not, though... Yes, they go above and beyond, oh, and, yeah. it, and it looks gorgeous, and I'm always going to prefer the real style of that to the computer-generated stuff. Well, but it beats the bathtub sequence in this, though, dude. Yeah, all that is, stuff is fun, yeah. amazing. It's one of the best sequences they've ever done. They don't really squeeze as much lemon as they could out of the facial expressions. Most of the movie is kind of in wide. There's not a lot, like a ton of close-ups. Here's the other thing I'll say. The dodo bird, Polly. Polly, yes. Is kind of the not the MacGuffin, but the the damsel in distress, the plot device <laughs> yes. here. Like we're trying to save uh, Polly, the the dodo, and I didn't give a shit about Polly. Like you well, know, I, ooh. I didn't care about I didn't care about Polly. I didn't care about that other fucking chimp that Darwin uh, oh, carries you know, around. Like Mr. Bobo's the man. Mr. Bobo, what's the matter with you? Yeah, I don't know. I like love, I love Mr. Bobo, and I think I like Polly a little bit more. The yeah. emotional stakes kind of felt flat because, like, and, and I just imagine what if that was Gromit? You know, what if that was Shaun the Sheep? I'm, I'm not sure I'd call it the most disposable, but this is um, the stakes aren't. Super high and even It's when, breezy you're and right. even, Yeah even when it does Introduce the stakes They're still kind of fun When Hugh Grant's just like She's going to eat Polly Yeah Like stuff like that It's like even then You kind of know It's like okay It's another part of the fun adventure And they're gonna get Polly But let's just Let's enjoy the ride Yeah And that's why well, I keep coming back to this This is the most like Pure ride of the bunch Where it's like Just sit back and enjoy Don't really worry about it too much Yeah And there's some clever Bits of animation Like the map animation In particular Like like that's all computer generated and that's like super clever and not to say that that doesn't work that the blending of cgi and claymation doesn't work it's just i i don't know to me it felt the most generic the least sort of emotional stakes out of all of it them. does have the least emotional stakes i agree with that yeah and i don't know it's just not the best application of the claymation i think it's super fun though i think all these movies are super fun i think they make good movies oh yeah i'm into it the claymation here is still amazing, though. Just the fact that it is claymation and they're doing what they're doing in this movie is insane to me. Yeah. Is it the best application of the claymation out of all of these, though? No, I agree with that. It is not. Yeah. But uh, still, though, as a as a popcorn movie, yes. to me, that's what this is. That's what I kind of, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to say. It's the most pure popcorn movie of the bunch, Yeah. which is why it's so fucking entertaining. Yeah. Uh yeah, good villains too. Great character. All the characters are memorable. Even the supporting characters, yeah. just the ones that don't get like that much time to like completely develop, but you know who they are, like the Brendan Gleeson character or the albino guy and and all those Darwin. I don't know, dude. Bobo is a character to me. <laughs> and, and Polly's even a character. Yeah, P- I, Polly was I think the main one. I, I like, like Polly a lot. Uh, like I've seen better animals in these movies, I guess. You have not seen a Dodo before. I this, haven't. I like this Dodo way more than the fucking Ice Age Dodos. Get those guys out of here and their watermelon. I have not seen an Ice Age movie in a minute. It has been many years. Yeah. Those are ones I 
could care less about. I loved that first one. Yeah, I did too. Loved it. Had that one on VHS. Wore that shit out. The, now there's an animation style that reminds me a lot of Arthur Christmas, though. The first yes. one. The first one a lot. Yeah. I'm sure it wouldn't hold up now. And I know they've made like seven or eight of them at this point. I've seen three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I gave up when Queen Latifah came in. Yeah, that's the dinosaur one. Yeah. I do love the fact that it's like Ray Romano and John Leguizamo. And Dennis Leary. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Leary. It's like, what? <laughs> That's such a weird <laughs> cast to like spearhead your movie. <laughs> like you imagine like a schlubby like gangster movie with those three guys in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know, I know. You don't expect like an animated movie to have those three has-beens. Um, <laughs> l- last point I want to make about Queen Victoria, who hates pirates. Hates pirates. She hates them. I hate Pirates. She wants to like behead pirates and shit. Like she warns everybody in the kingdom. I fucking hate pirates. Better not see a pirate in this, this village. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you hate pirates? They steal things. I know. All they do is steal and plunder I know. and pillage. But these pirates are so charming, Nico. It's a defensible take, though, is all it, I'm it saying. Is, it is a defensible take. Pirates are bad. I might say she hates pirates a little too much, though. She's done some weird shit to prove how much she hates pirates. Listen, have you ever met a pirate? I don't imagine you would like have you have you met a fucking Swahili pirate or whatever? I don't think I would go to the extent of building a flagship with endangered animals on them, stolen a lot from pirates and creating a, a, a metal dress with samurai swords in them to kill said pirates. I might just be like, "Hey, like guys, like police officers, go get those pirates. They're being a nuisance. Just move it along. Just get. Just get, tell get, the pirates to move it yeah, along. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get, the, get the fuck Scram. out of here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you see Rappaport? <laughs> you see him this week <laughs> no. at the Trump arraignment? Oh no! He's oh, outside. No. Oh, he God. went to the protest and oh. he's like screaming at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, get. The fuck out of our city you animal shoot the space lasers at her you fucking animal holy shit it I- was it was iconic like he's yelling at trump you fucking dick stain you fucking dick stain get the fuck out of new york Anytime I get an enthusiastic get the fuck out of here my attention is grabbed man just like that All I'm saying is Queen Victoria is not too far off. You know, it looks fun being a pirate. Pirates are, they're fun looking. I'd love to be a pirate. These are movie pirates. Right. These are not real pirates. Sure. In the universe of, of cinema, pirates are really cool. Yeah. Unless it's Captain Phillips, in which they are not cool. Which I feel very bad for those pirates. Not cool. Or in uh, Triangle of Sadness. (laughs) There is a pirate scene. There's pirates. Yeah, those 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 pirates. They're yeah. They're also imbeciles that blow the fucking shit up. Stupid movie. Fucking stupid movie.
2015's Sean the Sheep movie. That's the name of it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of these titles. That was the Sean thing. the Sheep. All right, we're making a movie about Sean the Sheep. We're going to call it Sean the Sheep movie. Uh, we're making a movie about a guy named Arthur on Christmas. We're going to call it Arthur Christmas. His name isn't even Arthur Christmas. It's Arthur Claus. Why isn't the movie named Arthur Claus? Don't they call Santa Claus? Uh, Santa Christmas? No, that's the uh, God. Father Christmas. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah, Father Christmas. That's what it's. It's a. It's a. All right. It's a form of that. There's Father Christmas, and then you have a son, Arthur Christmas. It's oh, better than okay. Sun Christmas. Okay. Could you imagine if the movie was Sun Christmas? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Sean the Sheep movie directed by Mark Burton and Richard Starzak, starring uh, Justin Fletcher, John Sparks, and Omid Dejali. I love that guy. Uh, nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards. <laughs> when Sean decides to take the day off and have some fun, he gets a little more action than he bargained for. A mix-up with the farmer, a caravan, and a very steep hill lead them all to the big city. It's another uh, Muppets Go Take Manhattan. City movie. Yeah, Babe goes to the city. And, yeah. uh, and it's up to Sean and the flock to return everyone safely to the green grass of home. Again, just a movie version of the TV show. That's yes. That's all, all it is. I will say, I'm not a, a viewer of the Sean the Sheep show. I was amazed how low the stakes were in this. Oh, yeah. Not to mention, like, the lack of dialogue, which, you know... It, silent movie. It, right. It is basically a, a silent movie modeled after the, the TV show. None of the characters speak an audible word of dialogue. The idea is the dialogue you hear from the humans is the sheep's interpretation of what people are saying. Oh, I That's see. That's what that comes from. Right. And then it also gives them an excuse to finally do entire visual comedy, the movie. They speak like the Charlie Brown parents do. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, <laughs> and the, the farmer's the best. <laughs> sure. And that's it. Yeah, so it's basically a, a silent show yeah. for an hour and a half. And, um, like... I, <laughs> I was blown away by this movie. I love this movie. This is my favorite movie on the list. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Jeez. This movie fucking slaps. Slaps, dude. Uh, the most popular of Ardman's movies. Yeah. You know how this started? How'd it start? Well, I mean, first you have a close shave, which introduces Sean. Uh, oh, Sean is in a close shave. Okay. Yes. He, he, okay. is, he is one of the pivotal characters in that. Comes on uh, and they're cracking contraption shorts which is another walls and grommet thing so he's a spin-off from that but he's kind of a fan favorite for a while but they don't do much with him and then baby spice from the spice girls is <sighs> is seen wearing a backpack of sean well the ardman guys like we should mention before they started doing oscar award-winning shorts and you know before they made a lot of these features they sort of cut their teeth doing commercials and music videos and uh, one of yeah, the Ardman right. guys did a Spice Girls music video back in the day. So, yeah, that's where the connection is there. Yeah. That image, kind of an iconic image now, sort of blows up. Right. And then, all uh, of, yeah, I recall the image. Yeah, yeah. All, and all of a sudden, everyone wants more Sean merchandise and people love the guy. And then they're like, all right, let's do a TV show. Yeah. And then you get like a nine season TV show of just something that you'd probably see on an adult swim over here of just Sean just 
being a, a naughty sheep. Right. He's just a really, he's a lovable sheep, but he's very naughty and he gets into trouble. He's always, a, he's a rebel is what he is. That is the one word you could use to describe all of the characters in the Aardman movies. They're just naughty, naughty. fellas. Just so naughty. They're just naughty. Getting in trouble. Yeah. And he is one of the, one of the, my, my favorite creations that they've ever done. I fucking love Sean. How yeah. do you not love Sean? Yeah. Who doesn't want to be just like Sean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, how could you not? Um, <laughs> this movie opens with a montage of just the grind. Yeah. Nothing I love more than a grind montage. Fucking love that shit. Just a montage of somebody doing the same thing over and over again. I could watch that for 10 hours in a row. And it's kind of a recreation of the opening song for the sh- television show. Okay. Yeah. I fucking love that shit, dude. I love the grind. You know that sequence in Better Call Saul? What is it, like season four, season five? It's a cold open where they contrast Jimmy and Kim's morning routines and how they sort of separate. They It's all in split screen. Yeah. I love that shit, man. I love learning about people just by how they brush their teeth. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> and that's what this movie is, you know? Just shows you the grind. And again, it is radically anti-capitalist. Oh, and yeah. You know, the farmer is a good guy in this movie, we learn. You know, he is a family member to these farm animals, but he is portrayed in the first 10 minutes as, you know, this, like, really oppressive landowner, essentially. Yeah, no, he's just a difficult parent. They show that opening, and it's kind of implied that this is probably the first time Sean starts to become rebellious because the opening of the show he's just doing his Sean thing Mm -hmm. whereas like you could watch this before the TV show and it would actually probably make more sense so yeah so the farmer you get that opening freeze frame images they're they're like Polaroids of the first time the farmer got Sean and became a farmer and then got Blitzer the dog and they became good friends yes and meanwhile there's like 90s alt rock playing underneath (laughs) it it's very cute yeah it's it's very like nostalgic kind of and there's old Polaroids and old like film stock or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's very 90s. Uh-huh. But then, of course, uh, it turns out uh, after time, all right, guys, we got to go shave your asses and yeah. give you food and tend to the flock. And it's a little less affectionate. And then we get to the city. The farmer, they they uh, they <laughs> they make the farmer <laughs> sleep yeah. by uh, jumping over a fence. God, I fucking love the visual gag of them counting sheep. Yeah. <laughs> that he just passes out after like 10 sheep. So this is the superpower that these sheep have is they can just make anyone pass out essentially on the spot by jumping and making them count sheep not the first time that Ardman has done this joke they actually did it again with a cracking contraption short for Wallace and Gromit where okay. Gromit dresses up as a sheep to try to get Wallace to fall asleep and he's on a trampoline through the floor comes up and Wallace is like one two three Right. Falls asleep. I do love that yep. bit when the guy at the trampoline shop falls asleep in this one and it's his head best. starts bouncing it's on the best. I fucking so love <laughs> So many just great visual gags. So, no dialogue in this movie. So, we just did a whole thing about how animated movies now they use dialogue as a crutch, they use exposition as a crutch. This movie does not have any of that luxury. Nope. And there are some real complicated visual ideas that they have to communicate here. Oh, yeah. The farmer ends up getting amnesia. That's true, yeah. And he becomes like a barber at like a hip new salon. 
and he becomes like the hot barber in whatever city they're in. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be New York or whatever. Which, which again, you're describing this to me now, and I think a lot of people listening to it would be like, why is he a barber? Yeah. All of a sudden, what the hell's the deal with that? It's right. just funny. And it turns out like, well, no, they do the work. They explain. This scene blew me away. <laughs> yeah. Because they have to communicate so much yeah. information in a kid's movie. Like it yep. needs to yeah, be yeah, yeah, exactly. it needs to be palatable to children's little developing minds. <laughs> And yeah, they have him like stumbling down the street. He's trying to figure out who he is, what his identity is, Mm -hmm. what he does for a living. He sees a guy giving a buzz cut to a guy in a chair and he recognizes the shears. Like he recognized them as sheep shears. Yep. And so he figures I must be a barber. Yeah. And we have the previous scene, though, showing him getting the wool off of all of his sheep. Yeah. In the same fashion, kind of like almost like putting them in a headlock almost and getting all all of their wool off. And they mirror that scene over here. So they're able to communicate that in like 15 seconds. And I was so impressed by it. I was just so impressed by it. The whole movie's like that. Yeah. Again, I was also impressed by how they didn't feel the need to make Rugrats in Paris or whatever mm-hmm. when they adapted the TV show. Part of the reason why I brought up Armin when we were talking about the Nickelodeon podcast was because Rugrats in Paris reminded me of this so much, just mm-hmm. done significantly worse. Right. <laughs> just like, God, I miss Sean the Sheep and Armin. And it all felt very quaint. It was so refreshing to watch an animated movie, especially in 2022 or 2023 now. Just it takes its time in the first 15 minutes. Yep. Just It just shows you what life is like on the farm. Mm-hmm. And it shows you why some of these animals might be a little frustrated with the way their life is going. You know, it's not an an existential thing like it is in Chicken Run, where it's like we are going to die if we don't get out of this prison. No, it's just kind of like, yeah, the grind is taking its toll. Yeah. I need a day off. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And this is a movie about animals in search of a day off. And they get there that by the end, too. They finally get their actual day off at the end, which is really, really sweet. Yeah. But you're right, though. Yeah, the, the stakes are low, but also, like, weirdly relatable in that way mm-hmm. and personal. And you, it, it, they have, like, the perfect story to, like, tell this visual idea without, like, biting off more than they can chew sometimes. And, you know, the set pieces... You know, there is a prison break set piece. Yeah, you know, it's not as crazy as Chicken Run. Um, you know, there's a scene where a dog stumbles into a hospital and he's wearing scrubs and he almost has to perform surgery on a guy. Just, I just love he walks in the room. It's in surgery and the, the doctors are looking at them. That's funny enough. And then the patient looks up. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, is the doctor in? So just like this very simple idea of what if a dog had to perform surgery, you know? Like, and it's all very goofy, but not in an annoying way. No. You know? Like, the, that's the word. It is just not annoying. No. And so much of animation these days is fucking irritating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are all the reasons why I love this movie. It's the best, man. Yeah. And, the, all, and again, the set pieces, like when they have to dress up in the clothes and pretend to be people like in the yeah. restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And the animal catcher is like really smitten with, <laughs> with the one with one particular stack of sheep. <laughs> What's the line in Paddington 2 where they're trying to stop the very attractive nun? Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> stop that particularly bodacious nun. Something like that. It just reminds me of that. <laughs> 
How good are the Paddington movies? Oh my god, the fucking Paddington movie are good for similar reasons, though. Where it's like there's a sense of like watching a movie and knowing that the movie will take care of you, but also knowing that you're not stupid for watching these movies. There is heart and meaning and yeah. sweetness to them. Right, like they're just pure delightful movies. Yeah, just fucking love these movies. Yeah, the Brits are just so much better at circling that square. You know, mm-hmm. like they're just so much better at walking that tightrope yeah. um, of making a kids movie that doesn't grate your brain you know doesn't take a cheese grater to your brain the contrast between this and the nickelodeon podcast we did is very interesting and like i said on that one i would have no issue at all showing these to my kids and also no issue watching them yeah i get something out of these movies by watching them like you said inspired by a movie like Shaun the sheep because of how much it mines from seemingly little yeah and and how it doesn't need exposition it just doesn't need any of that bullshit it is so well, there is exposition, but it's yeah, right. But it's visual exposition. Again, the way probably to do it, like all that stuff at the beginning with the farmer shears, in a way, is exposition. Sure, yeah, you, of course. You need yeah. it later on, but yeah. it's done in a much more cinematic fashion. So, yeah, so there's that great joke at the end where they meet this very ugly dog at the kennel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the dog decides that. She's not going to live her life on the farm. She's going to go back to the city because that's she's a city girl at heart. Right. And she leaves a note for Sean and he is reading the note and you just hear like the VO like, you know, of a person reading a note like to their to their like, you know, their uh, their widow or whatever after their death. But it's just barking. (laughs) So you just hear barking. And like that is such a brilliant like way to poke fun at the expositional bullshit in most of these movies. Like you don't need all of that crap. Like the movie is just it's spitting in the face of lazy movie tropes. I'm like, this is actually, when when you use this in your live action movie, this is what the audience actually hears. Like, it's just nonsense. You can literally put nonsense in place of this, and the emotional stakes are exactly the same. Exactly, because well, the movie knows, you know what this message reads, even if you don't understand what's being said. Just the fact that the you, message is being read, you know it. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. You have heard this a thousand times, this one is no different, and th- yeah pokes fun at it in in that way just by literally inserting gibberish right (laughs) which is so yeah you're absolutely right all right we got to put one movie into the movie hall of fame now yeah uh what would your choice be if you had to pick one oh it's it's curse the were rabbit okay uh i am not really married to the idea of sean the sheep although that was just my personal favorite and i thought it was the most impressive um, I'm not sure it's the most visually impressive. It's the most impressive, I guess, from a storytelling standpoint. from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, sure. In that in that sense, here's my problem. Yes, how can we put Curse of the Were Rabbit in and we don't put the wrong trousers in? Well, we could. You know what I'm as saying? A, you want to do that as a bonus? How would well, we? Well, no, I just don't think like it would be appropriate. To put <laughs> the second best Wallace and Gromit thing in the hall. Sure, of it. sure, yeah, I know. Because the best Ardman thing is the fucking trousers. Yes, it is. That's the best one. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Here's what I'm going to do. Oh, boy. This is a hard decision. Oh, that's right. You have a veto. I have veto. a veto button. Okay. He does have a veto button. I'm going to open the veto button. All right. It is an actual veto button. It's yes. in a box. You got to hold it up to the microphone to prove that you're actually pressing it. It's a, it's a real button. <laughs> that I have gifted to Nico. Uh, I'm going to press the button now. Oh, that's your only veto. That's it, Nico. The button doesn't actually make that sound. <laughs> we need to fix that top. <laughs> Through the illusion of podcasting. Uh, 
I'm gonna put the wrong trousers in. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> I fucking love it. I'm vetoing the list. <laughs> I fucking love it. That's a good veto. I'm I'm happy. You <laughs> the wrong trousers. <laughs> the wrong trousers is the shit. That movie's so good. <laughs> it is uh, seriously one of the best Hitchcock films I've ever seen. It's so good. It is perfect. It is so perfect. That fucking penguin, dude. What a menace. John Lasseter wants What a little shit. Or no, I don't even think it was... No, it was Brad Bird. He was saying he doesn't really do anything before you know he's sinister. Yes. Like, he walk in and he just gives one look to the camera and you know he's evil. That's an evil-ass penguin. It is great. Confirms my (laughs) long-held bias against penguins. Penguins, that's it. You know, I think it. it bolsters my case quite nicely. That's fair. I am all in favor of a movie that takes the piss out of penguins. You know what I mean? This one takes the piss out of penguins, all right. Yeah. I agree. Yes, it's the best Wallace and Gromit anything. It's the best Hartman thing. Yes. Yeah, period. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. It's fantastic. Also, maybe their most important, one of the most important stop motion things ever created. So there is that too. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Uh, Next week on the pod... I think we're going back to our old format for a week, right? We're, we're covering the year. Yeah. Is it 1966? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're covering the year 1966. Um, and it'll be good. Yeah. It's some, old, few... some old Hollywood classics. Are, actually, world cinema classics are being discussed next week. Yeah, that's a dense one we're doing. Our list is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Persona, The Battle of Algiers. Oh, well, this is really an international list. Uh, Blow Up. And Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the only American production of the five. Jesus. Wow. Are you going to watch Succession? Uh, I already told you I made up my mind. I'm not watching Succession. It's not going to happen. Yeah, like I'm having a hard time like watching movies now. <laughs> I swear, like they're that because yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There was uh, you know, like Creed three just dropped. And I'm like, oh man, I should watch the third Creed movie. And I'm like, or I could just watch the third episode of Succession for the sixth time this week. Oh wow, and that's what I did. I've just been watching Succession all week. It's, sounds pretty good. The same episode. It's a great show. TV's really good right now. Barry coming back on Sunday. I'm gonna have a hard time getting uh, getting a hard on for movies these yeah, days. You know well, what I mean? It's, it's not a not the best point in the year for movies, though. No, right. So. Yes, this is the part of the calendar year where the scales kind of tip in one direction. It doesn't start to get good, of course, when uh, Dune premieres at TIFF. So that's when all will be well, uh, Nico. Have we said that on this podcast yet? We've talked about it kind of oh, offhand, the, but have we mentioned that? For your bachelor party, we are going to the Toronto International Film Festival. We're doing it, guys. The tickets have been booked. The The room is set. We're doing it. It's officially happening. and It's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm... we are going to be there this September. If you're in the Toronto area and you have any like tips for us, of, like, you know, good eats or good bars or whatever, or just like things to see. Because that's going to be another, maybe even more of what we do, honestly, because we can't watch movies all day. I plan on watching movies all day. I would love to if we can. I but... plan <laughs> on waking up at the crack of dawn Oh, as the weak sleep, you know, that's when the real movie watchers like make hay. You and know? you're going to catch all the weird shit. I'm going to get up at like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pour myself a nice cup of coffee. You're going to all be hung over from the last night because you're weak fools. I am not drinking. Yeah, okay. We'll see about I'm that. I'm not drinking. 
And I'm going to head down to the fucking theater district in Toronto and I'm just going to crush tape all afternoon. And my plan is to not see any of you the entire time. That's okay. That is my plan. We don't really want to see you either. Nathan. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> doing my own thing in Toronto. <laughs> so you know what? I Forget the restaurant recommendations. It's just going to be watching movies. I'll be in a dark room. Your food will be only popcorn. That's exclusively right. popcorn That's the right. entire time. No, but I think it's a great idea for a bachelor party. Yeah, we're, we're all very, very excited. I'm, I'm incredibly pumped because I wanted to do this for a long time. Yeah, so we're going to go hopefully catch some premieres. We'll we'll pot about it when we get back and, you know, give some previews, give some sneak previews to the folks, you know, of all the big Oscar movies coming. It'll be great. Are we potting while we're there? Maybe. Could be tough, but maybe we should do at least a few. We'll see what state we're in. Okay. Yeah. Road pod? <laughs> road pod. Whoa. Yeah. I don't like that. Adam's giving me road pod. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, the two of us are also driving up together. We should Yeah, mention. that's the... We're making the nine-hour trek, you and me. It's not nine hours, is yeah, it? Yeah, something like that. I thought it was shorter. I thought it was like more like uh, seven and a half, eight. I love getting in the car, hitting the open road. I feel free. I hate driving. I fucking hate it. I feel free. But you can drive. You can drive all you want. I plan on it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is it. That's a pod. That's a pod. We will see you next time. And until then. I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. <laughs> <laughs>